Welcome back to the podcast. This is John Inglet, and we are covering the 37 practices of a bodhisattva. We have reached practice number 10. The practice of all the bodhisattvas is to arouse bodhicitta, so as to bring freedom to all sentient beings, infinite in number. For how can true happiness ever be found while our mothers, who have cared for us throughout the ages, endure such pain. So, it mentions mothers at the very end, so let's call this Bodhisattva Practice 10, Love Your Mother. (laughs) As a little boy, I sought refuge in my mother. When strangers spoke, I hid behind her legs and peeked to listen to their conversations. In church, I rested my head upon her lap and could hear her tummy rumbling for food. When moving to a different house, I embraced her in tears for comfort. My mother is kind, gentle, loving, nurturing, and special. She embodies the qualities of love written in the Bible, and she is a Christian. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight states, love is patient, love is kind, It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I realize not every person feels these expressions toward their mother, but in Buddhism, particularly Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana, we have the view that all beings have been our mothers in past lives, our mothers and fathers in past lives. Look around, everybody surrounding us has been our mother. My son next to me has been my mother. The two ladies chatting across the cafe have been my mothers. A lady just provided me with a sample of pumpkin bread. She has been my mother since beginningless time. We should always think this way. When I see a beautiful woman, instead of lusting, I think, you have been my mother. When I see an angry person in a car wreck throwing down his keys on concrete, I relax. He has been my kind parent in another lifetime. When a bird decides to leave a gift on my windshield, I thank my mother. All animals, too, are our mothers or kind parents, our kind mother. I realize it's sounding a little bit like Psycho, the movie, where Norman Bates becomes his mother. We're not talking about that. The Dalai Lama and the 17th Karmapa speak often about this concept. Our ultimate mother is Mother Earth. The Dalai Lama states, human use, population, and technology have reached that certain stage where Mother Earth no longer accepts our presence with silence. The 17th Kamapa describes interdependence as a link of motherhood to all beings on this earth. He says, regardless of whether one believes in reincarnation or not, one can suppose that all living beings 
are like mothers to us. The food that appears in front of us at dinner was grown, packaged, and prepared by people we probably do not know. The clothes we are wearing were produced by people we probably will never meet. Yet we are benefiting from their hopes, dreams, and labor. Plants, animals, and raw materials have all been used to provide us these things. This is the interdependence that characterizes life. No one thing exists by itself alone or can survive alone. We are all part of one world ecology and the world is extremely compassionate to us. Are we avoiding our loving mother and not returning our love to her? I'm not speaking only of the earth, but every human being. By thinking of the entire world as a representation of mother qualities, we also can generate these characteristics within ourselves. That's called bodhicitta, when we generate these characteristics of love and compassion within ourselves, bodhicitta. We should ask questions and imbue the answers with the verses from the Bible, from the Dalai Lama, from the 17th Karmapa, and from our kind mothers. How do we nurture each other fully? How do we protect all beings from harm? How do we inspire those beings that have lost their paths? How do we feed not only our children, but also our enemies' children? How do we teach or show others how to become like a mother? How do we love, fully love and embrace our worst enemy? At 40 and now I'm 48, I don't think, oh, I don't always think of my mother in the same terms as I did as a child, yet the feminine qualities she provided me throughout my life have introduced me to tenderness, loving kindness, wisdom, compassion, when I think of the future and present, I wish to be a kind mother and father to all beings I meet. I aspire to engender these qualities of loving kindness to all beings, including my neighbors and perceived enemies. If we can emulate these aspects in our lives, how far will we bring joy to a crowded room or peace to an angry person? Thank you for that. Uh, that tears me up a bit. Let's go to Bodhisattva practice number 11. The practice of all the Bodhisattvas is to make a genuine exchange of one's own happiness and well-being for all the suffering of others. Since all misery comes from seeking happiness for oneself alone, whilst perfect Buddhahood is born from their wish for others' good. Let's call this simply Bodhisattva Practice 11, Radiate Light to Others, because this is what we're talking about. We're getting into the meat of things. A fly lands on my arm. What is the happiness of the fly? I hold still long enough to watch it form some st stability among my arm hairs. For a moment, I believe she is washing her hands from the oil on my skin but the quick movement of her legs tickle my arm. 
My tension frightens the fly, even though I know she will return. I don't know if a fly functions in the realm of happiness, but this moment I tried to provide the fly some basic comfort on my arm. After a few minutes, my altruistic mind could not take the tickle. The after effects of the tickle still remain in my nervous system. I will twitch soon, even if a fly never lands. I am consumed by my need for comfort or happiness. Beyond the fly, I met a man who lived a gloomy life during the holidays. Though an American citizen, his family lived in Europe. Who likes to spend the holidays alone? At the cafe, he stared out the window, consumed with depression and loneliness. His inability to pursue his happiness, happiness stifled his entire body from performing regular tasks, like taking a shower, brushing teeth, and working. Months later, he arrived at the cafe with a new car. Still, he was not happy. I asked him, why are you not happy? Your car is beautiful. He replied, I cannot afford the payments. We perpetuate our own gloom. We are an excellent species to obsess upon one's own happiness to the point of losing our balance. I do not mean we should not take care of ourselves. We should have balance. I like to use the story of Jesus and Buddha. Before Jesus preached or taught the good news to his disciples, he first had to conquer himself. So he lived in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights as a journey or rites of passage. After he found his mission, he returned to the community, and I stress the word community here, to create disciples of men and women to spread the gospel. Likewise, Buddha spent many years looking for himself, ridding himself of himself and finally realizing the problem of living an ascetic life through starvation, he found the middle way. He returned to the community, a Buddhist, or a Buddha, rather, and taught the middle path between extremes of eternalism and nihilism. He returned to his family, his friends, his community. Denying oneself to serve others is practical once we have a proper and healthy understanding of our nature. That's step one. Then with altruistic thoughts, we can work for others' happiness. I became a teacher for this very reason, to provide students happiness and an education. I never entered the classroom thinking, I gave a great lecture today. I am amazing. <laughs> I walk into the classroom thinking about my students and how I can open their hearts to education and happiness. When they leave the class, I think about what they have learned and what lesson will take them to the next logical step in their educational journey. Before teaching, I consume myself with my own writing and self-imposed suffering. I realized that I could easily achieve a doctorate degree in any area, but the classroom itself provided a practical opportunity to effect change in others. When I receive personal cards from students, I do not feel praised. I feel honored that I have contributed joy in their lives. That's all, nothing else but serving others while remaining healthy in the process. 
We don't have to teach to accomplish altruism. A, f a friend finds flowers on the roadside and brings them to work. Giving a flower to another person will make their day pass beautifully. Flowers don't have to just be romantic inclinations. Another element of happiness is thinking about the suffering of others. Do we ever hear people say, you don't have a clue how I feel right now? That's said a lot. This line is used on television shows quite often. We have the opportunity, though, to find out how others feel. We can practice Tonglen meditation by exchanging ourselves for the other or do something more dramatic. Go visit their situation and see firsthand how they feel. Listen to the person. Let them walk you through their pain. What is it like to be homeless? Don't cause yourself harm, but talk to a homeless person to understand their situation. Then bring them our others into your meditation practice. Place them before you and radiate pure light to them. When walking down the street, visualize light coming from your body to heal the person passing you. When angry toward oneself, look at yourself in the mirror and magically radiate light towards your reflection. Or visualize yourself in front of you, radiate light toward you. If light does not work well for you, use water as an imaginary cleansing or purification process. I've used flowers coming out of my heart chakra as an example of giving flowers and love to other human beings. Whatever works for you, do it. The fly has returned on my arm. I breathe in any suffering it feels and breathe out pure light toward a being I do not know well, but see every day in this environment. We are no longer strangers. We are now connected by illumination. My arm still itches a little, but the more light I present the fly, the less significant the itch. I have exchanged myself for the fly and on a path to better altruism exchanging oneself for another leads to happiness for oneself. Okay, we have time for one more for this particular podcast. So let's go to Bodhisattva practice 12. 12, even if others in the grips of great desire should steal or encourage others to take away all the wealth that I possess, to dedicate to them entirely my body, possession, and all my merits from the past, present, and future. This is the practice of all the bodhisattvas. I call this bodhisattva practice 12, let the vultures eat your dead body. The next six bodhisattva practices focus specifically on the same result, exchanging oneself for the other, or Tonglen. I covered this idea in my recent uh, piece, Radiating Light to Others. So my comments here and in the next five entries will attempt to expand upon these, this theme. When we die, we accumulate nothing in the bardo or in rebirth, as the saying goes, those with the most toys win nothing. Therefore, 
we should practice this attitude now. What is the point of accumulating wealth? My only thought is wealth is significant so that we can give it away to the less fortunate. I am not spiritually advanced whatsoever. However, I met a Chinese lady who commented on my mala beads, which I use to count mantras. The beads reminded her of China and Guanyin. I quickly placed the beads around the lady's neck and said, they are now yours. She removed them from her neck to return them to me. I replaced them around her neck again and gave her a blessing. She thanked me and said, I need to give you something, I replied. Your gift to me is to practice chanting. Om Mani Padme Home for others. I believe that mantra language is how she pronounced it in Chinese. Although I use the Tibetan Om Mani Padme Home, she thanked me and I left never to see the lady again. I am attached to my beads in practice. They are more precious to me than worldly treasure and I give up my beads willingly. In my practice, I look to the cloudy sky and visualize the great Buddhas and Bodhisattvas before me. Sanjay Minla, the Medicine Buddha, Amitabha, Vajradhara, Avalokiteshvara, Green Tara, Manjushri, and others. I offer lotus and sunflowers to these great beings. The flowers float into the air and dissolve into the visualization. I offer any virtue I have and send this energy to the sky. However, do we feel confident enough to do the same for our friends and enemies? The Lord's Supper reminds me of Jesus offering his body, speech, and mind to his disciples and ultimately to all beings. I don't know a better Western example of a known bodhisattva than Jesus. I pay homage to Jesus and his virtuous messages. Jesus says as his disciples eat the bread, take and eat, this is my body. Jesus says as his disciples take the wine, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Only bodhisattvas can offer their physical bodies to others, for they know the body is merely a corpse and consciousness, or if Christian among the other religions, soul continues on to its next or final destination. In Tibet, the traditional burial is to allow the vultures to eat the corpse in the open air. As Westerners, we may view this as cruel, but it's also called conservation, in my opinion. The vultures receive food, the body's allowed to become like a bodhisattva, and the bones left of the human being can be used as instruments, such as the conlin or a bone trumpet. What a great honor to know that your bones are being used in Dharma practices. In the United States, we pollute the ground with chemicals to preserve our bodies for an extensive period of time before these bodies finally decay. What are we holding on to? A resurrection of a dead corpse? Folks, it ain't happening. Even if one is Christian and thinks one's disintegrated body eaten by maggots will rise from a cemetery, it's better if we allow our dead corpse to be eaten by vultures we have then cured one environmental issue. Impermanence is a positive message. Nothing belongs to us. 
Are we willing to allow a stranger without a home to spend the night in our house or live for a few months until they have received an appropriate education? In the US, we have this diehard individualism. We must take care of ourselves. We are Americans, we are individuals. With that mindset, we will never be able to offer our possessions, body, speech, mind, and virtue to those who need a little lift. May the ripening of negative karma end by us offering our body, speech, and mind to all sentient beings needing us, even if it's just in our imagination. We will stop there for this particular podcast and continue on uh, in, on the next one. Thanks for listening.